Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. A young minister at the beginning of his career started as a youth leader and he was interviewed by several pastors for the position and during the interview a number of questions obviously were asked of this young man and uh, he answered and uh, he answered very well the interview seemed to go very well until one of the pastors present there raised his hand and made this comment I believe you have enough talent to pull this off by yourself and that frightens me If he wanted to minister in God's name, he had to learn to rely on God and not on his own abilities. In the spirit of a year prior to Resurrection Sunday, it is a period of introspection, a period in which we tend to look at ourselves, a time in which we look at sin in our life. And I would like to submit to you a definition of sin. Now, surely I know what Scripture says. In one point of Scripture, is written as sin is the breaking or the violation of the law of God, and indeed it is. But if we looked at a little broader definition from Scripture, when you look at the Scripture, at the Bible in its overall, you will see that whenever it opposes righteousness, you find some degree of one form or another of self-reliance. Self-reliance is like telling God that we don't need him. It's like telling God that we can do it ourselves, that we can define what is right and wrong on our own. Isn't that the nature of sin? Isn't that the the root of sin? Isn't that what Satan did when he rebelled against God and he says, God, I don't need you to be God over me. I can do it myself. In fact, I can do it better. Self-reliance breeds pride, obviously. Or some might say stems from pride. And here in this psalm that we just read, we find that God gives us, or gave the ancient Israelites, and through them, us, a few points of advice. First of all, offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's the first point he makes. The second, pay your vows to the Most High. Keep your word. Then call upon me in the day of trouble. And that point is followed by a promise, I will rescue you and an instruction, and you will honor me. And that instruction of honoring God is linked to the promise of God's deliverance, which is also linked to our calling upon him rather than relying on ourselves when we find ourselves facing difficulties in life. 
The fact is that sometimes God uses difficulties to teach us, doesn't he? Just look at the example of the last few weeks. We were looking for a new location for this church. And it seemed for a while that we were going from trouble to trouble, from problem to problem, until, which is basically the comments I was hearing all around myself, is, you know what, we cannot do it by ourselves. We're putting too much reliance on ourselves. We just need to let God do that. And as that became the pervasive attitude, guess what happened? God found us a better place, a less expensive place, a more effective place than the one we were looking at before. And it seems to me like throughout life, God teaches us that one vital and most important lesson, to rely on him and not on ourselves. And sometimes to do that, he uses difficulty. He uses challenges. Times and moments in which we're either afraid of things that can happen or are happening, or times and moments in which we are distressed and under pressure. And we come to the realization that we, ourselves, with our own strength, maybe just won't make it. And so we need him. And God promises he would deliver us if we turn to him. See, if... You never faced a shortfall in your life. What would you be tempted to do? You would be tempted to feel self-sufficient. You would be tempted to think you don't need God to begin with. And God certainly is not part of your daily life. If everything goes smooth and you never feel inadequate for the task that is set before you, chances are you would say and think that you're quite sufficient for what you need to face in daily life. Pride will tempt you to think that you don't need to seek the assistance and the help of God. And the self-reliance will probably seek to convince you that you can handle your dilemmas, your problems, in your own way, with your own wisdom, with your own resources, and especially with your own hard work. And so what do we tend to do? And yes, I confess, from that perspective, I too am a workaholic. We tend to work harder. And the going gets tougher, so we work harder, and the going gets tougher, and so we work harder yet, until we come to the point that we break and collapse, and all we can do is say, Lord, I just can't do it. Would you please rescue me? I'm in it more than I can take. I need you. You only can pull me out of this. And guess what we learn? We learn to rely on him. Self-sufficiency can greatly hinder our ability to even know God. If we're self-sufficient, what do we need him for? And certainly we would not be stimulated or interested in finding out more about him or getting to know him more personally and more intimately. And certainly we would not bring honor to him. Pride also robs God. What do you mean pride robs God? Did you see in this psalm how God says, you'll be in trouble? Okay, then call upon me. I will deliver you and you will give me glory. But what happens if we don't call upon him and take all the credit ourselves? We are robbing God of the glory that pertains to him only. We shouldn't allow our pride to take what rightfully belongs to God, to the Lord, and take it for ourselves. We should rather call upon the Lord and wait exclusively upon him to rescue us and to rely on him and trust in him. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything. 
It means that we will do the things that we need to do, that we're called to do by him, but not relying on our own strength, rather relying on him, putting our trust in him, and then giving him glory when things finally work out. Sometimes he doesn't even want us to do anything. Like in the Israelites in front of the Red Sea, it says, stand still and watch. Sometimes he tells us to stand still and watch. Sometimes he tells us, go ahead and cross the sea. Go ahead and climb that mountain. But Lord, I can't do it. Who asks you to do it? I'm telling you, climb the mountain. I didn't tell you to do it on your own. But Lord, I want to move. I told you to stand still. I didn't tell you to move. Who are you relying on? Your own things or God? Now that can get so out of hand. And the worst of all, you probably understand who is the author of the worst scenario, that's Satan. How did Satan turn around? Instead of thinking, I don't need God, I can be God. In fact, I can be better than God. Have you ever thought how far that thought led Satan? Let me illustrate it for you. How far that can go. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was walking on this earth and he was tempted by Satan? What was one of the things that Satan told Jesus? In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, is written, And he, Satan, led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all of this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it will be all yours. Now, we read this before, and we understood that. We, we, we've seen this before, but have we ever stopped and think for a moment, here is Satan who knows that Jesus Christ is the one who created him. And he's now face to face with his own creator, and he's telling his creator, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you these things. How far can we get with the arrogance and the self-centeredness and the self-reliance to think that we can handle it better than God is illustrated by the attitude that Satan had with Jesus when he tempted Jesus. If you bow down and worship me, said Satan to his own creator, knowing Fully knowing that he was the creator. Fully knowing that he is the one who made him. How sad. How weird. And we certainly don't want to go anywhere close to that path, do we? There may be times when God allows us to reach a point of need so that we have no choice but to call upon him. And thus, we can let him demonstrate not, not just to us, but also to the people around us, to a watching world around us, the difference that the presence of God makes in his children's life. Because when we call upon him and he delivers us, it's not just that we understand more about God ourselves. We're portraying that all around us to other people looking upon us and looking at us and, and looking to find some clues as to what we are all about. And we deny the Lord that honor that is rightfully his, Every time that we find ourselves in difficulty and we fail to call upon him for help, and then we, when we receive his help, if we fail to acknowledge where that came from. If God never allowed us to experience that need, well then people around us, people around us will never know 
would never be able to have the opportunity to witness God's provision for the Christian. So right there, in a moment of need, we can be the most powerful witness that God has in hand. Right there in a moment of need, right there in a moment of semi-desperation, when we feel like we have nowhere else to go but asking God, and that's some, unfortunately, unfortunately, that sometimes is what it takes for us to call upon the Lord. It should be a, a normal practice of everyday life, but sometimes it takes for us to really shatter against the rocks of our own self-made person before we call upon God. But then, at that time, it's the most powerful witness that we can give because then people can see the work that God does in his own children. Now, let's understand the passage a little better, and we'll see another aspect of this. Why the psalm, and why would God inspire the psalmist to point out those things? Well, the point of the psalm is that Israel should offer their sacrifices of thanksgiving from a genuine trust in the Lord. And the problem that Israel tended to have is that they were taken by formalism. What is formalism? Well, it's doing things in a ritual way. It's somewhat close to legalism. We approach God only in a formal manner, through certain ritual, through certain things. And we think that that's all that we need to do. Well, if they had the problem, the solution to formalism is to worship in genuine faith, which is why Asaph, who's the one who wrote that song, called on the people to sacrifice and offer, not the sacrifice of bulls or, or lambs or things of the nature, but the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The point here is an empty ritualistic form is just another way of self-reliance, isn't it? If I approach God through those empty ritualistic forms, rituals. It's almost like saying, I don't need the grace of God because I'm a good man or a good woman. I don't need the grace of God because I'm doing all the right things. I put all the right rituals in the right place, and I say the right things at the right time, and I do the right things in the right time. And so the Pharisees thought they were righteous before God, and they resented when Jesus Christ pointed out to them, hey, it's not your, the form on the outside but it's the substance of the inside that makes a difference. God looks at the heart. I remember one time in Sicily, I was asked by a man to go to see him. He wanted to talk about baptism, and I thought, wow, you know, God is adding another member to the church. So I went to see him, and I found out why he wanted to talk about baptism. He had read in our literature that we all need to repent and to be baptized. But his question to me is, why should I be baptized? And I said, well, because we're sinners. And that's a, a, a depiction of how we abandon, we die to our own sin to live a new life in God. And he said, what do you mean? What do I have to repent? I'm a good man. I never done anything wrong to anybody else. I strive to conduct a good life all my life. I never robbed anyone. I never cheated anyone. I never killed anybody. I'm a good man. I don't have anything to repent of. You see how that kind of a ritualistic approach to religion can deceive us. I'm a good man because I'm putting all the blocks in the right, in the right order neatly. But where is my heart? On God? No way. The heart is on myself. I am a good man. I can handle this. I am done right. I have done right. And I don't need the graciousness of God. I don't need the forgiveness of God. I don't need the sacrifice of Christ. What a dangerous situation to be in. And for the first time as a young minister, I was stumped as I was face to face for the first time with self-righteousness of an individual who thought he could stand before God and have nothing to give account for. 
And I was stumped. And I asked myself, I remember asking myself, how do I handle this? <laughs> what do I say? Am I supposed to point out some of the sins, like the pride? Am I supposed to answer differently? Am I supposed to just wash my hands and say, Lord, if you can't handle this guy, I certainly can't. <laughs> I remember I tried to talk to him about pride, and he was offended. And so we parted, and I forget some of the other details of what we said as we parted, but I remember we parted in good terms. We said, have a good day, and take care of yourself, and we went, each of us, our own way. You know, the offering of a ritualistic form cannot be given with a heart, but the offering of thanksgiving in response to a miracle of God, the offering of thanksgiving in response to the freedom that God gives us, the offerings of thanksgiving in response to the miracle that God works out by getting us out of trouble, that can be offered with a heart. And it must come from a heart because nothing else is true thanksgiving, is it? In our society today, it seems like men, as from the day they are born, and as all through their life, as they grow up, they are told that they have to be self-reliant and self-sufficient, and they have to be the boss, and they have to be capable of handling everything themselves. What a bunch of baloney. Pardon the term. Genesis 2.18. Let's find out where that comes from. Genesis 2.18 shows that man was a lonely being. God created the man first. Well, he had a reason. I think he knew that we would, have, we would tend to have problems in this area. He created the first male first. Why? So that he could realize and understand he's not quite that self-sufficient. He was miserable. He needed a fit companion. He needed someone else, <clears throat> a helper that was suitable, a companion that was suitable for him. He was a lonely being. He may appear to be self-sufficient, but in reality, within us, even us men, long for companionship. We long for relationships. We long for that love that God created us to share, for that fellowship that God created us to share with another human being and then ultimately with them. In Genesis 3.19, the curse Stipulated man as a provider of food, not just a man as a provider of food, however. Now, that's not the point. The point is that he will be the provider of food in a hostile world. That's the key of that statement, that the world, the ground, the very tilling of the ground will be a hostile endeavor. And so man emerged as an objective, far-sighted, work-hardened person who has muscle and strength and everything that he needs to to face that hostile world, that hostile environment, and conquer that hostile environment. But in that, the trap of self-sufficiency and self-reliance is embedded right in it. And we have to be careful not to fall into that trap. We tend to trust ourselves to till the soil that resists us. So we have to break that soil. We have to clean up that soil. We have to work on that. We have to labor, sweat upon it. And so in, in so doing, because we are sinful human beings, we tend to become more and more self-reliant. But here's where a believing wife can make a difference in the world. A believing wife can make a difference in the world because can function, she can function effectively as a gentle prayer warrior, an agent of God ushering her man into God's kingdom through prayer, through reliance in God. You see what I'm pointing out? The wife of such a man who is self-reliant can help break that self-reliance by modeling reliance on God. And it's not so hard for her as it is for him. 
Well, let me share an example of how that can happen. I remember in Florence, Italy one time as a young man, I was helping my father who had a trucking business and we went to a, uh, a depot with a bunch of docks where the trucks would back up into to unload their cargo. And at one point we saw this huge truck pulling in and it was only one dock open, but it was squeezed by other two trucks. And so as the other drivers, the drivers of the other two trucks, saw this man beginning to back up into that space, they went to him and started talking to him and saying, hey, listen, you're not going to make it. Just, just be patient for a second. We'll move our trucks, make some more room for you, and then you can back up into the dock yourself. And he said, what are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a little kid? Do you think I've never been driving a truck before? Do you think I can't make it myself? I don't need your help. I don't need anybody. This guy started raving and, and, and rattling all about, and he started showing to everybody he's the biggest shot. He says, I've been driving this truck for 20 years. I know what I'm doing. So the other guys pulled back. They looked at each other. They shook their head and just stood watching as this man scraped his truck all the way into the dock. Three trucks were damaged in that operation. The point of that is that if we don't learn to rely on God, if we don't learn to give up our self-reliance and, and, and start relying on the Lord, we're all in for a big crash. We can't make it ourselves. We have to let God sit in the driver's seat, not ourselves. You know, many times, men especially, but all of us as humans, need to hear certain things from certain people at certain times. And I remember talking with some man who would not hear anything unless a tough guy were to tell them what they needed to hear. So let me read you a statement from somebody, and I'll tell you afterwards who wrote it. The statement goes as follows. Through many years of active public life and through observing many kinds of people, I have found that the strongest, the wisest, the most competent and reliable man is the one who is first to admit his own inadequacy. Contradictory though he may sound, he is strong because he is humble. And he is, always remembers that man is a creation of God. No rule of life is more basic. When one learns on his own understanding, lives by his own strength, boasts of his own accomplishments, and claims he is his own master, the result is untold suffering. Even though his position is maintained and his material wealth increases, success quickly turns to failure when God is forgotten. There is no peace of mind, no personal satisfaction, no experience of true inner joy. To trust in the Lord with all the heart is a mark of strength. It is the only path to true fulfillment. Now let me tell you something, especially you men who need to hear this from a tough guy. This was not written by a theologian. It was written by a former head of the FBI. And if he can say this, you can say this. If he can, th if he can think this way, it is not unmanly to think this way. And of course, it applies to all of us. Not just to the men among us, but to the women as well. You know, the Old Testament contains this statement over and over and over. And the statement goes something like this. This is from Psalm 107, verse 28, but it's repeated in so many other locations throughout the Old Testament. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. The people cried to God in their troubles, in their trials, and God delivered them because they appealed to him. 
How did God call Moses and why? Well, the Israelites were crying out to God. How did God free Israel from many, many different invasions from people surrounding them through the different judges at the time of the judges? Well, when people became self-reliant and arrogant, God allowed them to be conquered. But then when people bowed down and cried upon and called upon God, crying to God for freedom, God sent a new judge and delivered them. And the lesson is repeated time and time again. But the ultimate freedom from distress is given to us in the New Testament, isn't it? And that is in Jesus' sacrifice for us. The ultimate deliverance. And what does God require of us to accept that? What does he require of us? That we make ourselves righteous through rituals? That we observe certain days rather than others and eat certain foods rather than others or do certain rituals instead of others? No. All he requires is that we trust him. That we accept his grace and his graciousness and we trust him. And we rely on him through faith, not on ourselves. The message is so crystal clear through Scripture. And it starts from Genesis and goes on through Revelation. The calling of God is to abandon self-reliance and truly trust in the Lord. And the greatest of all freedoms, the greatest of all deliverances, we can have it in Jesus Christ. And that's all we ask. We are asked, trust in Christ. Accept him as your Savior. Rely on him, not on yourself, but on him. Because by yourself, you stand no chance. But in him, you have eternal life and glory with God forever through and by him. And so again, we are told to rely on him. I would like to conclude with a quote from a pastor, Grant Swank. And he wrote something that I think is, is very, very important. He wrote it during a, and shared it during a conference and he had quite an insight. He said this in terms of the way we train and educate our young ministers, but I think it applies to every one of us. He stated, what was the early church's growth secret? And here it is. The wipeout of human reliance and total moment-by-moment dependency upon God. With that, believers of those days withstood emperors, hungry lions, the rack, cauldrons boiling with killer fluids, and nasty soldiers with weapons in their hands. Do you see the picture? The early Christians didn't have much to rely on except for God, but that, what, was made, what, what would make them one of the most incredible churches in the history of Christianity. That total reliance on the day by day, moment by moment, the reliance on God was their greatest strength. It must be the same for us. Unless we have become so biblically ignorant that we have forgotten Jesus' words, without me, you can do nothing. We cannot do anything, let alone build the church of God. We can see that the church steps are swept, that the carpet is clean, that the sermons are prepared, that the prayers are prayed. But ultimately, just like a farmer plants the seed on the ground, and once he put the seed in the ground and watered it, he said he has very little more, if anything, to do but just watch it and watch the miracle of God's work come out and manifest itself in a new plant. Just likewise, we can do all these things, but only God can wrap it all up to build his church. Only God can wrap it all up to transform the lives of individuals and need transforming. Only God can wrap it up in a miracle of a new conversion, 
or in a miracle of a change of life, on a miracle, in a miracle of a rededication, and ultimately in the miracle of a new life, a life that was going to be with them forever. I would like to say, like Jesus, can any of us add one inch to our stature or one day to our life? So why should we rely on ourselves when we cannot make a difference? We all age and we cannot stop it. Who can add a day to his own life? We can't rely on ourselves. But God can give us eternal life that will never end. God is the one that can give us a newness of life. God is the one that can take even our sorrows and turn them into blessings and joy. God is the one who can take our trials and turn it into a marvelous, powerful witness for it, that can change life of other people around us, that can change the eternal life of so many. So in him we can rely indeed, and we can place our faith and trust. Let us all endeavor to do that. Let us all endeavor to stop the sin of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency, and truly bow down before God, before the throne of God, and say, Lord, we depend on you for everything. Guide us, strengthen us, not to do our own will, but to do what you call us to do. Let us pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for not calling us to show you how good we are, because we will all fail miserably. Thank you, Father, for calling us to trust in you, because you're perfect, and your ways will work out. We thank you for your benignity. We thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your love. And we commit ourselves to you, Father, asking you to cleanse us from the sin of self-reliance and selfishness and self-centeredness and to pour out our being before you and count on you and lean on you, hold on to you so that the storms of life cannot wash us away, but we can stand not because of our own strength, but because of your strength because you are the one holding us. We praise you and thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.